Welcome folks, it's time for another fantastic edition of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. And in this episode, I'm joined by Tanya Erath. What can I tell you about Tanya? Well, she's a relatively late-blooming pro cyclist, having lived a pretty impressive life before winning the Zwift Academy in 2017, and we chat all about that. She's just ridden her second Paris-Roubaix and reckons the cobbles aren't the most dangerous thing about the race. Keep listening to find out what is. Not only is she a pro cyclist, but she's also a doctor. We chat all about that and how her medical knowledge can both help and hinder her as a rider. But does she know how much it costs to non-members to enter the local jazz club in her hometown of Heilbronn? There's only one way to find out, folks. Well, actually, there are two or three ways. You could check the website or you could even go there and find out. But I'd imagine for most of you, it would be quicker to listen to the next hour of scintillating chat than actually travel all the way to Baden-Württemberg, Germany, to Club 61 in Heilbronn, wait until it opens, then ask how much it costs to gain entry. Anyway, this has been a pretty long window where I'm telling you to keep listening. Flipping neck. You know it's that time again. Right, before we get to the chat with Tanya, I want to let you know about our email address. Yes, we have an email address. You can reach us by emailing podcast at sigmasports.com. Podcast is spelled in the normal way. And this is the best way to get in touch with the show and the people involved with it, i.e. me, Niall, and the rest of the crew. Why not voice your questions, concerns, or stories, and let me know if you want an on-air shout-out for a very small fee. Email for details. Now, Tanya Erath sprang to international attention when she won the 2017 Swift Academy, which earned her a pro contract with Canyon Shram. Now she rides with EF Education Tibco SVB and has just finished her second Paris-Roubaix, where a little bit of research helped her understand the value of being in the early break. Alongside her professional cycling career, she's also a practicing medical doctor, and I found out how crashing her bike made her a better doctor, and how practicing medicine is just like riding a bike. Sort of. Check it out. Tanya, finally, you're on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. Um, at the moment, I'm quite tired still, actually, from the weekend. Uh, don't know why. But, yeah, strange one, that. <laughs> <laughs> but slowly getting there, uh, being able to jump on the bike again. Yesterday, I wasn't really keen on sitting on my saddle. But uh, I guess that's the Roubaix cobbles, isn't it? Yes, yes. I mean, we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into Roubaix and a lot of other things in, in yes. a minute. But yeah, I, it's, it's no surprise that you're mentioning that. But before we do kick things off, Tanya, um, could you tell us um, where in the world you are and what you can see immediately around you, just so the listeners can really set the scene, basically? So at the moment, I'm finally home for a few days in between racing. So I'm not in Belgium. I'm in Cologne, Germany at the moment. And uh, just around me is a lot of podcasting equipment, uh, my computer, <laughs> and I'm sitting in my living room uh, with a coffee and luckily sun through the windows. Oh, lovely. Uh, very similar conditions here. Yeah, surrounded by pod equipment um, and the sun is coming through my window as well. It's the first time actually, Tanya, that I've ever done this particular podcast with the sun coming through the window because this obviously springers has changed the, the direction of the sun, etc. So it's quite nice. I've actually had to take and, off my top and I've got a t-shirt and I feel a bit sweaty, but don't worry too much about that. Um, but and it's obviously you're, you're in the UK, so you're not really have sun that often, right? 
Yeah, it's we're quite yeah we don't have sun quite as much. And actually, Niall, who's recording, is recording this. He's up in Edinburgh, up in Scotland, and it's one of only four official days. He was just saying that they have sun up there, so he's really happy. Uh, so he's hoping we can wrap this up so we can go out for a picnic or something. Anyway, anyway, Tanya, it's uh, it really is lovely to have you have you on the pod. Um, and let's let's jump straight into Paris Roubaix. The second time you've you've ridden Paris Roubaix. Um, 2020, of course, was um, where you've just finished outside the, 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 the 2021. Sorry, just finished outside the time limit. This time, yeah. you've you've finished okay. So just tell us how you're feeling now, and then how the race went. I'd imagine you, we could probably be speaking for a good couple of hours, but um, yeah, how, how are you feeling right now? So yeah, funny that you mention it because last year I think it was nine seconds out of time limit oh no that's and awful funny funny thing is though that this year the race was a bit longer because we did one more local lap we're starting with four local laps and last year was three uh so this year the time limit was a bit bigger since the race was a bit longer and i finished exactly the same time as last year 14 14 minutes and nine seconds back on the winner um <laughs> But this time wow. I just stayed on time limit. But it made, made me smile a bit because it was exactly the same time. But the race planned out quite different than it was last year. On one hand for all of us because it was dry conditions compared yeah. to wet and muddy conditions last year. And for me last year I didn't really participate in the race because I had a crash just 3k before the first cobble section so it was a chase from the beginning I mean the good thing was I had Annemiek van Floyten with me and she's a good motorbike to follow on the, uh, <laughs> on the tarmac uh, so we kind of switched like I did the pace on the cobble she did the pace on the on the tarmac uh, and that worked quite well so we gained a lot of groups back but yeah it's especially in the mud, you're just barraged behind the cars and it's carnage. So yeah, making it to the velodrome was last year kind of the only thing I really wanted. And this year it was a bit different because I found myself in the early breakaway uh, that went, I think, 7K or 8K into the race. Okay. And uh, yeah, stayed away till I think 60K to go. Um, so yeah, a bit then more, more than half of the race, uh, which was quite lovely uh hitting the cobbles first and i was the last woman standing from the breakaway uh so yeah being solo off the front at roubaix was quite special and uh, i think that's gonna stay in my memory forever i, I bet it is i'm really uh, i unfortunately missed the coverage of the of the women's power roubaix because i was flying home from sicily so the whole race took place while i was in the air so i'm i will be watching it back hopefully over the next couple of days but um and i didn't realize <clears throat> that uh, you were in the move but I, I bet in terms of the sensations compared to what i mean that's a complete contrast isn't it i mean um how did that make you feel and how did you actually going back a little bit more what sort of preparation do you do specifically for roubaix um obviously you've got one race in the legs last year but it is a, it's a race like no other so how did you approach it this year that might have been different to last year first off and, and what plan did you have going into the race yeah so the i mean the funny thing for us women i guess about roubaix is um on one hand that you can do the whole race in one recon sort of like yeah. you can can cover all pave sectors because we do 17 sectors and it's around if you skip the local laps it's around 100k um so you can easily do that in one day um, and since our race was postponed in a few times, uh, I did the recon four times, I think. Right, um, right. 
So yeah, I feel like I, like, I mean, you never know it perfectly, but I know it quite well now that I've uh, reconned it so much. Um, but we did another recon just um, on Wednesday ahead of the race. And then we did the first two cobbled sections on Thursday again. So I felt quite good and well prepared, also knowing the local lab quite well. Um, but yeah, thinking of last year, it was quite a lot of chaos on those local labs because it's a bit like a kind of a city crit and everyone's nervous. And especially last year, first edition, wet conditions, everybody just wanted to be off the front. So it was yeah. fast and uh, left and right. And yeah, a lot of chaos just going into the cobbles. So a lot of crashes. And when I saw the breakaway go, it was first first uh, four girls off the uh, off the front. I thought, okay, this is the best um, the best chance to like stay out of that chaos. Um, so I made made my move to the front. Uh, but getting back to your initial question, so yeah, I mean, Roubaix, you get there earlier than uh, at a normal race because you want to test some tires, you want to test some tire pressure, um, especially seeing how the conditions are going to be on race day. Uh, so yeah, we arrived there on Tuesday and the race was on Saturday. So then it's like a lot of testing. How do the, how do the tires, tires feel and how do they feel on, on the different sectors? Because the first sectors, they're long, but they're quite good. They're more like Flanders uh, cobbles. Yeah. Then towards the end, uh, latest at Carrefour de Labre, uh, it's a bit different. <laughs> it's cl classic cobbles, and then you really want your tire pressure as low as you can go. Um, so yeah, that's just a, a lot of testing, and it takes a lot of efforts, especially by the mechanics, to do so. Do you find that side of of the sport quite interesting? I mean, I was never really in, into tech that much, to be to be honest with you. But I've never ridden Paris-Roubaix, but I've ridden the sectors that you're talking about uh, when I was working. With, with the GCN guys and we did some very interesting testing. So did you quite enjoy that process? Is it something, I mean, because the differences that it can make are, are so, so important. Um, and, yeah. and and I didn't really, we, we did some really high tire pressure, really low tire pressure, but once you get the optimum tire pressure, it's still very, very hard, but the difference it makes is incredible. Can you just describe that process? And, and actually, without giving too many secrets away, what tire pressure and what tire width you actually ended up going for? We're getting a bit geeky now, but I do find it quite, quite interesting because it's a race like no other, isn't it? For sure. And usually I'm not a tech savvy person, but um, when it's just an easy tech question like tire pressure and tire width, <laughs> uh, even, I, even I can go with that. Um, so yeah, I, when I did my first recon, I was still with Kenyon SRAM yeah. and we had 28 millimeter tires and 30 millimeter tires. And we kind of, I started with the 30 millimeters and we switched in between. And with the 30, I was like, well, Roubaix isn't that bad. What is everybody talking about? And then I changed to the 28 and I was like, wow, this is such a difference. So yeah. for sure. 30 millimeters or some go, even go 32 I think makes a huge difference that's for sure and the tire pressure also like I go even below three bars I don't okay. know what that is I think something about 42 45 something like okay. that um, so yeah I think quite low and I wouldn't run that in another race but it makes a huge difference especially in comfort and your body will thank you later into the race. Yes, it's for sure. Especially, I mean, the, the worst sector in your race is definitely the Carrefour de l'Arbre. And, and, and that is, 
incredible trying to get the line right in in there um because the cobbles are not even at all you've got the corners and then some of the yep. cobbles are if you hit them wrong they could bring you off and they are very very um it's right on the verge of being dangerous yet you know it, it, it's, it's 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 something it's quite scary that particular section isn't it yeah absolutely but look watching the race um or re-watching re the race i think the most dangerous thing about roubaix aren't the cobbles but trying to avoid the cobbles yeah, because yeah. it's like using those lines and like people coming off the cobbles and going onto the sides like hitting each other or just like riding uh in one line and some people can see the the potholes coming up some can't i think this is the biggest issue if it's dry last year it wasn't a possibility to go like off the cobbles the cobbles were the best the best choice um so there are crashes due to the mud and due to like just like slipping or sliding uh but yeah i think this year most crashes were caused by avoiding the cobbles actually yeah it's 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 not it's not uncommon it's quite an interesting way to put it but yeah it, it is generally riders wiping out in the in the dust on the right hand side that bit of yeah it's not even tarmac it's like the dirt before you go into the grass verge isn't it it's a it can be really good but it there can be uh, lots of little drop-offs and dips and stuff and very very stressful indeed but okay back back to the race again because um, I'm, I'm even more i'd even want to watch the footage even more but one was it a plan from from the team um for you to maybe go in an early move or was that something was that a decision you made purely on instinct that the opportunity just arose and you thought i'm going to go for it uh well kind of both right. uh, so it wasn't really the team plan the team plan was to get as many numbers into the front uh sure on the on the cobble section and i mean being in the break is kind of the safest version of doing that uh getting at least one rider up there uh but actually i i was in, in bed the night before and i read a cycling tips article which was kind of on the statistics of uh the early move in Roubaix. Right. and <laughs> uh, it said like the the chance of succeeding is 25 and the perfect rider uh to make it to the finish in the early break has to be around 30 uh UCI ranking around 370s position um, and has done Roubaix five times and finished four. And I think, well, I mean, you can count that out in the women's race because we haven't had so many versions yet. But I mean, I'm 32 and my UCI ranking is rather that way. So I was okay. like, well, this is... <laughs> According to cycling tips and according to statistics, this is my best chance. That's um, a, that's a, that is that is a, so you yeah just so statistically so twenty five percent chance. That's not a bad bet, really, is it? That's not a bad bet. Exactly. Exactly. And I I kind of uh, when I made it to, to the move, I kind of tried to motivate the others like that. I was like, this is the early move. Eat and drink. This can be a long day, and our chance of succeeding is like twenty five percent. Um, you actually, so, yeah. you actually, you you were speaking to the guys in the break, and that's what you were saying. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, like because I mean, the girls in the break were rather y young girls, um, okay. so I, I thought like it's and I just wanted actually, I just wanted to make it to the first cobble section off the front, and if it's ten seconds, it's ten seconds. But sure. I really wanted to work, and so I thought I'm going to make a bit of a motivational speaker, <laughs> and that's. <laughs> That's what I did with my facts in the background. 
That's great. That that is quite cool. So you you acted almost like a, a sort of a patron, basically, in, in in the breakaway. You use it, but it is it's important. You do get in moves sometimes, and um, whatever the race, but a race like Paris Bay is a race like no other. But but quite often, um, the more experienced rider will, will be listened to. You know, uh, yeah. and and other riders from other teams who are younger will quite often listen, look to you to offer them a little bit of guidance. And all that does is add to the cohesion and the sense of purpose. So it's quite um quite wise thing that you just did. I mean and so describe to me the feeling of hitting these numerous set you're away from from well uh, around half the race. What was that feeling like? Did you get these big adrenaline dumps every time you hit the pave sectors? Because there were great crowds out from the images that, that I've seen. Um just describe the feeling physically, what it was like. Obviously exceptionally hard, brutal, but there's some there's yeah. a sweet spot, isn't there, of of adrenaline, joy, and pain, and it's something that's what sums up cycling, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, a bit of a problem was that I think I got a little bit overexcited, or like m- maybe like I felt really, really good in the beginning, yeah. um, and so I think I might have pushed a bit too hard, or like I mean, we we went. I think we had a tw- two minute gap in between, and we went okay. into the with one minute 30 and um yeah we hit the cobbles and i mean i like i really love those cobbles actually um so i right away like went to the front on that first little sections when you hit sector 17 and there's a bit of tarmac in between uh so that's where i kind of took the lead also because it was a crosswind section so i I was like well it doesn't really matter who's in the front because you can't can't really hide uh in a crosswind section on a pave um and yeah, then I realized, well, actually my, my legs are already quite dead and we're all, all, uh, all we're just 42 kilometers into the race. Gosh. And uh, <laughs> I, I start, I, I got, I got a cramp, uh, after getting off the first sector and I was like, oh no, like, I'm going to get dropped because I'm cramping. Uh, and I got, kind of got that out of the system, but as, as so often, if you, if you have a cramp, it's just like it's coming back over and over again. And especially when you're riding pave sectors, because it's just such a hard hit on the muscles. And um, yeah, that's what I ended up like when the when the peloton caught me. Um, I tried to stay in the group, but after the, I think it's called Mons de Pevillé. Yeah, Mons de Pevillé, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had such bad cramps there and I couldn't turn my paddles anymore. And right. uh, well, the good thing is that this is like kind of the only elevation on in the race. So I could like roll down from this elevation. Uh, otherwise, I would have just like fallen over, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that's when I knew this race is kind of over for me. And I was just passed by groups because I couldn't accelerate to stay in one of those groups. And then I was like in nowhere's land and it was like 40k to go. And I was like, what's going to happen now? Like, I'm just going to be out of time limit again. Uh, so, yeah, this was like where the, where the enjoyable part of the race was kind of over. Because <laughs> before that, it was like, okay, like I'm leading Paris-Roubaix. This is great. And then it was like, okay, I'm still in the first group. This is awesome. And then it was like, oh, I can't paddle anymore. This is not great. And um, yeah, then I was caught by four riders and they didn't, they weren't as fast as a big group. So I could stay with them 
And then I was just like, I, I have to like keep my, my watts down because every time I accelerated a bit, I just started cramping again. And I just wanted to make it to the velodrome. I guess this is like, this is also what makes Roubaix so special. It's kind of like a triathlon where everybody just wants to finish. Everybody wants to uh, arrive in the velodrome and has this like special feeling that Roubaix, only Roubaix has. Um, so yeah, this is also what I really love about that race because Usually, I think a lot of riders, when they have three three flat tires, they would just abandon the race. But nobody really likes to abandon Paris-Roubaix. Everybody just keeps going. Um, so, yeah, this is what is so great about that race, I think. It, it is it is a magnificent race. And um, this is the, only the second edition for the women. But already, it's really strange. And I don't know whether you feel this, but it's a race that you, you should have had a long time ago, but you haven't. But now it's here. It already feels yeah. like it's been around for a long time. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, the, the men's yeah. race has. But the, the way that the women's race has been ridden, um, the backing behind it now, the fact it's on a separate day, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does feel as if it has been around for a long time. Do you know what I mean? It feels, yeah. I don't know, it's strange. How, how do you feel? Yeah, we were just talking about that uh, ahead of the race. And I said, I think this is, actually the biggest achievement that you go into the season and you don't question uh racing Roubaix it's just there and yeah, you yeah. you know like sometimes it's like privilege is also a sign of like not questioning things and I'm like not questioning anymore that I'm gonna race Roubaix um so I think this is great to see how far women's cycling has come that it's just normal to race Paris-Roubaix now it is very, very cool, and I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm so chuffed that you that you managed to finish. And there's there's a lovely picture that you posted quite recently on your on your Instagram from last year uh, yeah. when you finished, but just were just outside the time limit. But just going to take your shower, um, yeah. and there's there's some really lovely iconic images of of everybody in the showers as well. And that is um, not quite as important as the racing, but it's part of the the, the spirit of Paru Bay, isn't it? So. Uh, to, when looking back um, on last year compared to this year, what are the differences for you then? Um, well, I mean, last year was quite frustrating because I was so like in the recons, I could tell I'm really good on the cobbles. It feels great. Uh, I have the power. I have enough weight to not like really jump around sure. and kind of my natural technique taking the cobbles is quite good. Uh, so I don't, I don't even have any blisters on my hands because I'm oh, wow. loose on I'm loose on my handlebars. So I kind of the handlebars are like jumping in my hands instead of rubbing them. Okay. Um, yeah, I was really looking forward to it, and then crashing out ahead of the cobble section where the speed is so high that you're probably never gonna make it back, uh, and being like in the cars and just like barraged all time on on the mud was get, left me with this feeling of never really having raced Roubaix so I really wanted to come back and um, I was just right after the race I had a look like how long it takes till we can race again and it was like 194 days I think and uh, yeah then we then just two days after Roubaix I fractured my spine and yes yeah then it was like I didn't even know if I'm going to be ready for um, Roubaix in April and uh, I remember watching Formula One actually, 
and uh, there was a, a driver for Formula, actually a Formula Two driver. Um, he was jumping in because I can't remember who was sick and and couldn't drive, but he was jumping in and he fractured his collarbone and his spine, just like me, actually. Um, and he was back driving a Formula One car, I think three months later. And I remember posting this um, picture from him and saying like, well, if he can drive a Formula One car with all those G-forces, I guess I can ride Roubaix after six months. And uh, so this was great for me this week because till till you are in Roubaix and you actually are riding those cobbles, you can't tell if your body manages to do that. Like I, I didn't know how my how my collarbone's going to take it. I didn't know how my back's going to take it, if I can even ride all the cobble sections because, yeah, like in Flanders, I could already tell that my, my back struggles a bit with the cobbles sure. and then Flanders cobbles are different. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't know actually till the till the recon on Wednesday. So, yeah, till like three days ahead of the race, I wasn't even sure if I can race it. And, um, yeah, then going there... Um, being on the cobbles in first position was actually quite, yeah, a goosebumps moment. And uh, yeah, I think also for me as uh, the former Swift Academy winner and having Swift as one of the big sponsors uh, of the race and seeing those Swift signs everywhere, um, it felt really great. Like having having Swift as the reason why I'm in pro cycling. And then having this really traditional race of Roubaix and kind of having this, this do you say merge, merge of traditional cycling and the new virtual version of cycling and maybe having people realize that, yeah, it's not like they're not competing. It's, it can be one. Uh, yeah. That was actually quite, quite cool for me. It's, that was, I was just going to mention that. It's, um, it's the, they can coexist quite you know, very, very well as, as we've seen. Um, and I was just going to mention, you know, you won way back, say way back, something five, <laughs> four or five years ago, but 2017. Yeah. Um, and I was there to, to sit, to see you, see your win. You, you did help me out when I broke my, my rib with more about that a little oh, bit yeah. later. Um, so that, that was quite interesting when Alexis Ryan drove a, um, a go-kart into me, although it was yeah. my fault for, for spinning out. But, uh, yeah, you've, you turned pro. You were off given that opportunity with Canyon SRAM from winning the Swift Academy. And when you look at when you turned pro, the, the, the women's cycling was just on this ridiculously steep curve, wasn't it? Which is still going upwards. We've got the Tour de France, um, the first ever Tour de France farm, um, Avic Swift coming up very, very soon as well. But when you look at the landscape of, of, of women's cycling and, and your, when you were dropped in, How's it been for you looking at the development of, of the women's side of things over the last few years? Because you really did enter the sport at that level, at almost like a sweet spot, didn't you? Absolutely. Like, um, I mean, I, I was in a good team like right away. So I think I can't re like I didn't really see like the s super bad sides of women's cycling, like not earning any money, for example. Sure. Um, but yeah, you still you are in the peloton and you still realize like some people do ride without a salary and some people do ride with their own bikes um or like have to pay for their own travel things like that sure and now seeing there's 15 world tour teams uh there's a lot of girls that can actually live from what they do um and go into a lot of races that are now equal prize money for women and men uh compared to i think my it was my first year uh when 
even a, a male pro rider posted that yeah, Gen Vivelgem was like sixteen thousand euros for the for the male winner and three hundred fifty euros for the for the female winner. Yeah, um, that was like you can't really imagine that now anymore. Like even yeah. the the Belgian races that are sometimes a little bit, let's call it traditional. Um, they're like picking up and they're having equal prize money. So yeah, I think it's just it's just a steep curve for for women cycling, and I think it has to be because if you have been kind of slowed down for such a long time, which I think women's sports have have has in general, uh, then you kind of have to pick up speed to catch up. So it's great to see that. Um, Yeah, also sponsors like Swift just see that and help women cycling to like really push forward and uh, yeah, pushing equality forward. And as well as the opportunities, prize money, more races, there's now more teams and the talent pool is getting deeper each year, isn't it? And, uh, oh, yeah. and you, would have, you would have seen that as well. So in terms of the actual, we've got the races We've got, it's still a, a little bit of, there's still a fair bit to go in terms of parity, but we're heading in, the, in a really, really good direction. But in terms of the, the physical side of it and, and, the, and the level of the sport, um, how have you seen that? Because from, from, from the sidelines, for me, it, it's now incredible that, that there's slowly but surely, each year on year, we're getting more and more younger riders coming through and that the depth is incredible. Absolutely. And I think um, this is just a sign of like seeing that riders see cycling as a career option. It yeah. was like, usually you would be a junior rider and then you would decide to study and maybe you could do it a bit next to you yourself like studying because you have some spare time in between. And then after finishing, you would just like drop out uh, because it wasn't a career option. And now it's, you can tell that like people come into the sport because yeah, they could make money with it and they could live off the money they make for a certain time. And if they go really up in the ranks, they could even make good money, money with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I think this is just a sign for like, yeah, it's, it needs to be a career option because otherwise you only have a few privileged people that have enough money to, um, yeah, to not having to earn money for a certain time um, to invest that time to then like move up in the ranks. So yeah, it was a pretty privileged sport and now you can go into cycling and say, well, I earn money with it. So I can ride my bike and I can see how far I can, can get. Um, and the, the, the achievements that, to, well, the, the, the things that you've achieved over the last few years have been incredible. So re representing um, your country, you're on the fringe of the, of the Olympic team. I mean, how, how far do you think you've come? Um, as an athlete, and we'll talk about what you do outside of cycling as well in, in a few moments. But what about your own progression? Um, do you what What does the future hold? Do you think for you, cycling wise, and 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 how do you look back on on your development over the last few years since winning the Zwift Academy? Yeah, it's funny. Like um, I remember coming into the sport, like I had, I just had no idea. Literally, I, I've always right. been. A triathlete I've, I've more been in this triathlon world didn't know that much about cycling I mean I followed the tour and I followed a few classics but not like really into depth and um yeah then suddenly being in the sport I had, there was so much to learn yeah uh, but now I look back at some results like also early on 2018 2019 I was like well actually that was quite 
that was quite decent. Like just like jump jumping in and uh, yeah, going going home with a few like top ten results. If it be like a GC or like uh, even a world tour race in China. Um, so yeah, I think I um, I can be quite happy with uh, the development. Even though last year I didn't have a really good year, but yeah, I really hope that I can kind of pick up the momentum from 2020 again um, and have a good year this year. And uh, yeah, starting with the with the classics, it's always hard because I feel like the classic, it's like in German, we say like the king discipline of cycling. I don't know if that works in English, but it's like you need everything. You need good legs, you need positioning, you need tactics. Yeah. So coming into the sport late, and missing out on that normal development through like the junior ranks and having like 10 year maybe of 10 years of uh, race experience i think it's especially the classics are just hard to tackle sure. um, so usually my my races or the races that i can do well in uh, come a bit later into the season also when i'm kind of getting back into this race feeling it just i think since it's not like naturally in my blood and hasn't been like for 10 15 years already it sure. just takes me some time after the winter to get back into the rhythm so yeah i'm, I'm hoping um that like the second season half is gonna be a good one for me um but yeah usually i just think from race to race and I think that's also like my, my privilege. Like it's not for me, it's not like uh, for some other riders, like they, ha they have to perform uh, to, to have a contract. I think, I mean, I have to perform to have a contract as well, but like, if I do not get a contract, it's not like the end of the world for me. I'm just sure. going back to my, uh, to my normal job. And that's still a great one. Um, even though I love cycling and I would, would be really sad to like, not have a contract anymore but it's i think for me the pressure is a bit different i can like sure. enjoy everything and yeah. see how far i can get and if i don't get any further then that's it and i can accept it even though it always hurts a bit but yeah, yeah i just I'm just hoping for some good experiences um yeah like on the weekend uh, i think yeah no one nobody's ever going to take that away from me I was going to say that, that yeah. that's there forever, isn't it? And, the, and those feelings and some of the, the biggest feelings in sport were in, in racing, you can, I mean, believe you me, I'm 20 years older than you and I can still remember some of my best rides, not necessarily results, but rides. I can still close my eyes and I, I, I'm, I'm there in the moment. The, I, can, I can remember the smells. I can remember the noise. I can remember the pain. I can remember the feelings in my body that they are very, very intense and, um, but I've never, you know, led led a lead group onto Paru Bay, and that's going to be with you forever. It's something to cherish, isn't it? It really, really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, sport is always special, and I think it doesn't even matter uh, what level you're riding. Because I, if I if I look back at some retro crits I did, or like even some local races, if you have a good feeling and a good feeling um, or good legs, it doesn't matter how high. Uh, the level is you're racing on, it's always good um, memory, I think. Well, Tanya, we, um, we're getting to that point in the podcast. It's been, we have just gone off on one. I mean, it, it's, it was really, really lovely to hear your thoughts on, on your career and, and particularly your, your ride in Roubaix. As, as I suggested at the start, I think we could probably talk for hours and hours about Paris-Roubaix because it's just immense. But um, yeah. in, in our podcast, we, we do 
the hometown quiz. And, and a few weeks back, when I asked you to come on the podcast, I did ask you where you were brought up, and it's in the te- the town of he- city of Heilbronn. Would you pronounce that for me? Heilbronn, yeah. Heilbronn. Um, so Tanya, it's time for the Heilbronn quiz. Oh wow! Yo yo, what's up? You all ready? Uh huh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Heilbronn quiz. So there you go. It's <laughs> um, I, I should have I should have told you. Like I wasn't brought up in Heilbronn. I was brought up in Leimgarten or even Massenbach, because this is a really small town. So there there can't be a lot of questions about that. But yeah, yeah. we're gonna it, run well, with it. No. Well, let's run with it. Let's run with it. No, you you did mention that to me, and you were right. There's not much information at all about yeah. those other small places. So yeah. uh, the nearest place is is indeed Heilbronn. So uh, we've got four questions. They're multiple choice. Tanya so if you don't know the answer you can have an educated guess okay okay so uh, are you are you comfortable are you ready I'm ready good stuff okay so question number one it's a coat of arms question I do like coat of arms questions so Helbron's uh, coat of arms features an eagle in black um, with the shield of Helbron on its chest but my question to you Tanya is what is the, what is the color of the eagle's tongue and claws okay so black eagle, um, red, white, and blue stripes of the Helbron shield on its chest. But what are the color of the eagle's claws and tongue? A, blue tongue and blue claws. B, red tongue and red claws. C, green tongue and red claws. Or D, a golden tongue and red claws. Ooh, yeah. um, I would have I would have guessed red. Uh, but now that you have gold and red, I'm not sure anymore. Well, I st- I'm still going to go with red, I think. So that's B. B, correct, Mundo. Well done. Good stuff. Good, a good start. I, I was worried you were going to not go with your gut instinct. Um, <laughs> but no, that is correct. It's, there's been various iterations of, of the colors, but it's the contemporary the contemporary version that I was looking at. Um, so yeah, I did. It's a gold background. So um, the... I, I drew inspiration from the gold background for the for the tongue, but uh, ah, you you stood you stood your ground, hundred percent. On to question number two. Okay, Heilbronn Power Station is coal fired and was originally commissioned back in 1955. But Tanya, how tall are its two chimneys? So it's got two very very tall chimneys. You can see for yeah. a very very long distance. Are they a 200 meters? B 220 meters? C, 250 metres, or D, 265 metres high. They are very, very high. Yeah. Uh, so, so I lived, I, I worked in the hospital just next by, and I also lived there in the nursing home. Uh, so actually I had a view on those. But okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad at like uh, thinking what length it could have been. I think I'm going to go with the longest. So that was D, right? Uh, D is two six five. You can stay, stick with that answer. Yes, I do. Okay. Unfortunately, Tanya, the answer is C two hundred and fifty oh. meters. Uh, only f- only fifteen meters shy, but you still got you still got um, the moment fifty percent correct after the first two questions. Oh. So it's always nice to work with percentages. Yeah. <laughs> so only fifteen meters out. That's tall. That's a tall chimney. So yeah. in whatever way you slice that, that's a quarter of a kilometer high. 
very, very high indeed. It, it's true. Indeed. Right. I think I think I need 60% to pass the exam, right? You, well, you do. I mean, it's, it's hard <laughs> when there's only four questions. But, yeah. you, it, but somehow we managed to contrive a bonus point. Um, okay. So I'm going to give you... We'll see. We've got two more questions left. Okay. So, <laughs> right. This is a bit of a weird one. Um, but here we go. Tanya, I don't know how well you know the Cave 61 Jazz Club, but here we go. How much, Tanya, is the price of admission to non-members of the Cave 61 Jazz Club at the Altus Theatre on Laufnerstrasse? Okay. <laughs> so if you wanted to go to the Jazz Club um, and you weren't a member, and I'm not too sure if you are or not, would you pay 10 euros, 16 euros, 19 euros, or 22 euros to get in? So I've been there think? once for a concert. <laughs> okay. Um, but that was long ago. That was 2006, I think. Okay. Um, oh, I, I mean, that's, that's only a guess. Um, I'm going to go with B again, because the last time that was my, my lucky guess. So okay. you I'm going to run 16, with 16 euros. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you know, on who wants to be a millionaire? And we don't have that sort of budget, Tanya, so I'm, I'm sorry, I just, just want to manage your expectations. We do not have a million pounds to give you, but I'm going to, um, it, 16 isn't the right answer, oh. but you, you can have another guess. So you, have you've eliminated, guess. so it's either 10, 19 or 22. Now it's even more embarrassing if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, I just read that um, Halbron is in Germany one of the most wealthy or the wealthiest community um, with the high, highest average income. So wow. just run with the most expensive one then, I guess. Unfortunately, it's not the right time. The answer is 19 euros. I'm very, very sorry. It's a cruel question. I tried to get a question on menus, but um, I, I struggled. But um, no, it's 19 euros if you do wish to yeah. go in. Um, but um, as I say, if you do join, it's free. Um, I, I don't get any commission at all. Don't worry. I just found it on the internet. But um, yeah, what a lovely bunch of jazzers they look like. Brilliant stuff. Loads of loads. What did you see there? What gig was it? I, that's also, it's so long ago, I can't remember even. That wasn't a quiz question, by the way. It was just me asking yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mean, you wouldn't have a right answer anyways. Because no, no. You could just, you I'm could like, make something up um, yeah. and you could earn yourself a, cool, a point. Now, a look, cool band, probably. A, cool, a very cool band. Yeah, you, cool, definitely a cool band. They look like a, it's only cool bands allowed in uh, the Cave 61 Jazz Club. So the final question in the Heilbronn quiz is this, Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you well you've got at the moment 33.3 reoccurring percent uh, in the quiz you can bump this up to 50 um, and if there's a I might try and get a little bonus question to tip you over the 60 percent pass mark so question four yes the Red Devils Helbron is what sort of sports team so they're called the Red Devils they're a sports yeah. team are they a a wrestling team B a skydiving team, C, a karate team, or D, a BMX team? The Red Devils Heilbronn. What sort of sports team? Wrestling, skydiving, karate, or BMX? Now, what I'm going to allow you on this one, what I'm going to allow you, 
you can phone a friend, and that friend is Niall. Um, so he, I wrote the question, so he doesn't know the answer, um, but he might. If you want to help him, you can phone a friend, and that man is Niall. I'm sorry, you know, you can't ring anybody else. I mean, my guesses so far weren't great, so Niall can guess for me instead. <laughs> or, you, or what you can do, you can ask me to eliminate two. So I, um, if you, you've got two up, you can phone Niall, or I can take out two incorrect answers, and then you're left with one alternative. I mean, that gives me a 50% chance. It does, yeah. Eating. So, sorry Niall, but I'm going to pick that. You're going to pick that. Okay, so you've used one of your your, your lifelines, as it, as it's called. Um, mm-hmm. So, is it wrestling or BMX? So skydiving is gone, karate are gone. The Red Devils are either a BMX team or a wrestling team. You do have one lifeline. You can ring Niall if you wish. <laughs> but I then, think I think I go with with wrestling because I don't I don't even know a BMX track in Halbron. Okay, final answer. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. It's correct. It is a oh. wrestling team, and they're, they're, they're in, uh, I, I can't. I, I'm not too sure if there is a BMX track or not. But that was good knowledge. You really thought about that, and there was real logic applied. Um, so you do indeed. Uh, you really scored fifty percent. I'm trying to think of a bonus question um, to try and tip you over, um, but I think that would take too long. So do you know what? Because of your use of, of logic in the final answer, I'm going to give you another ten percent. So you've just about passed the Hellbron quiz. Yay. Let's have a round of applause from our, our, our studio audience. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. So 60% there for Tanya. <laughs> I quite like the... I don't, I don't live in Hellbron anymore since no. 11 years. So maybe that's my, my extra 11%. Like, um, you know, 1% for each year that I haven't lived there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think you did really well, though. I think you did really well. So it, it was, yeah, it's slightly unfair. Um, uh, again, my, my my questions were quite tangential, um, but yeah. I, I always I did spend a good hour deep deep diving on uh, various you websites with, with history or something. I think my my history knowledge on Hadron isn't too bad, but right? It was just it's a, a lot of history. Yeah, I, I was trying to unpick the history of Hadron. It's very there's a lot. It's there's yeah. almost too much, and it's also a, pla- a place that's popular for winemaking as well. One of the uh, biggest, I think it's the, the biggest wine producer in this particular region as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's really famous. Like just also the small place where I'm from, from is really famous uh, for, for wine. And we also have a, a very famous play in Heilbronn, the Kätchen von Heilbronn from Heinrich von Kleist. Um, so yeah, that's that's played in one of the only left old parts of the town because the rest was bombed. Um, but yeah, that's quite famous uh, for for Halbron, I would say. Well, there we go. Well, there we go. A little bit of uh, yeah. Next time, I'll, I've I've done some some quite decent history questions in the past, but I, I, the time was ticking away, and it was so much for me to unpick. Uh, but there's a deep, deep history. I think um, this is off the top of my head. I'm not reading this off the internet, but I think Heilbronn, in terms of the name of the city, the town, was first mentioned um, in about 749, I think. Um, that, was, that was the earliest mention in literature of the, of the existence of the town. So, yeah, um, there we go. So it does does sink in. It does sink in. Anyway, Tanya, um, you as, as well as cycling and and liking the history of a town that you live near to and don't live at right now, um, you're a doctor. I am. So how do you talk to us about your how you t- you basically 
are a doctor and you weave in being a professional cyclist as well and and especially through lockdown because i know that given given what's happening in lockdown you ba- basically went back into into doctor mode so tell me a little bit about um getting into at what point in your life you decided that's what we, you wanted to do as a profession and then ultimately you've you're weaving in the two together so um the decision that I want to be a doctor or that, that I want to study medicine because yeah. it's a long way to go uh, was when I was 16 and I did a first aid course for um, my driver's license or actually because I was always the youngest in class, everybody else did it for their driver's license. But I knew that if I do it, it's going to be outdue if I do my driver's license. So I just did it for fun and because my friends did it. And um, I really liked that. And then I thought like, I think this is my thing. Um And since my graduation average grade wasn't good enough to have a place to study right away because you need a, I think you would say A-level or like in Germany we say 1.0 average to get a place to study right away for medicine because it's just well-liked. I decided to become a nurse before that. And um, so I did three years of nursing school uh, just uh, across the chimneys that we were just talking about. Okay. And um, after those three years, I moved away to Bochum, uh, which is, yeah, kind of northwest of Germany, I would say, uh, in the famous Ruhrgebiet. And I studied there for six years um, and became a doctor and graduated just the time I did the Swift Academy semifinals. So the first time we met, I've just been uh, a doctor for a month uh, on paper. And um, now it's already, yeah, almost five years, I think. Um, And yeah, as you said, during the pandemic, it was kind of weird knowing that, yeah, the medical system is quite on its limits and you are... uh, a doctor and you're riding your bike even though even though there are no races except of swift races so there was a lot of um bad feeling involved um so i applied for my license because i didn't get my license uh, right after i finished because i became a pro cyclist and i knew that i don't don't need it um for a certain amount of time and it's you have to pay a bit of money so i thought i'm going to save that Right. Um, but then I apl- applied for my license in the beginning of 2020. And okay. um, then I started actually working in vaccination centers. And yeah, just last year, I went back to um, work in a working 16 hours and 24 hour shifts in uh, orthopedic wow. clinic, um, where a friend of mine is one of the chief physicians. And he's actually into site. Like, that's how we met. Uh, because. Sure works in cycling as well now he works for israel startup um but he used to work for uae and Deco- uh, not Deconic, um for dimension data yeah um, so yeah he kind of knows what i'm doing and he was like yeah well in between races you can do just do a few shifts at our place uh so yeah that's what i did last year but now i own i did my last shift in january um, and I told the clinic that I'm probably not working throughout the season because it takes a lot of, um, yeah, it takes a lot out of your body, uh, doing those night shifts because sometimes you can sleep, but most of the time you can't. And then it's just like a constant jet lag, uh, week after week. 
Um, and if you try to get a 100% out of your body uh, for racing, then this is not really what you want to have. Yeah, it's uh, something I've experienced when I first joined the police force, best part oh, yeah. of 20 years, 20 years ago. Was I was first couple of years were okay-ish. I was yeah. racing, not the same level you were. I was just racing domestically. But once I started to work nights, oh my God, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't train properly. I could ride my bike, but training, no, um, could not train at all. I just felt like you just said, uh, in a perpetual state of jet lag, I almost felt like a zombie. Or exactly. like hung over, but without the sickness, just yeah. quite a discombobulated feeling. And I could never get, and 2002 was my worst year as a, as a, as a racing cyclist, purely because I couldn't adapt to, to nights. So, yeah. um, and, and my shifts weren't as long as yours, um, or, or I wouldn't imagine anywhere near as stressful, but it's a, uh, so you, how did you find that balance? Did, was that why you said, well, I've, I've got to put this to one side race for as long as I can, then re-stick, re-kickstart your career, your, your medical career later. Is that, is that what you're thinking of now? Or, or, or where, do you, where do you sit in terms of cycling and, and your other professional life now? Um, so yeah, first I wanted to like try and get like, go like 100% in, but yeah, what we just talked about as a, as a female cyclist is sometimes financially hard um, yeah. to only ride your bike and make enough money for a living um so yeah last year it was also a choice of like working to have some more money to live from and pay my rent sure. uh and the bills um but yeah this year um since ef joined the team and um we have yeah even the male world to a minimum wage uh, i can live off what i make as a cyclist so i don't Fantastic, yeah. have to work um and therefore i decided that if i don't have to then I should go all in uh, yeah. again. So that's why I decided to not work throughout the season. But actually it was really good last year to have those those shifts and realize that even though I've been out uh, for a few years, that I still like know, uh, yeah, know my job and know how to work, what to do. Uh, and I guess also with the nursing background, um, it's just, I've spent quite a few years in hospitals like almost every week um yeah. so it's yeah it feels like natural i think it's probably a bit like riding your bike as soon as you're back um you realize like it's not that easy to forget how to do it yeah i mean and what do you it was in, i was reading a, a blog that you wrote um i think it was for the vox women it was for the vox women's mm -hmm. website and, and you about the the crash you had well you, you crashed in roubaix finished and then a couple of days later you crashed in the in the women's tour in, yeah. in, in britain and then you uh, ended up in hospital and wrote this blog what do you as somebody who knows the human body very very well um how do you do you often find yourself self-diagnosing or do you ignore or, or you are are you like the rest of us and you try and ignore things or are you somewhere in between because of this knowledge that you have sometimes yeah. even with with a certain amount of knowledge over something specific you can ignore, ignore it, and just carry on regardless. How do how do you sit knowing knowing yourself, knowing how the body works, and then how do you juggle the two? If you know what I mean, how do you apply yourself given given what you know? So I, I think uh, according to that 
doctors are the worst at taking care of themselves. Right. Okay, right. It's like, you know, when you tell a doctor, like your doctor's going to tell you like, it's really important to drink enough, to eat enough and regularly to sleep enough. And then they do exactly the opposite. Uh, I mean, if I, if I work shifts, it's like, I don't even have time to like drink throughout 24 hours. So, or go pee. Um, so yeah, I think doctors are really bad of taking care of themselves. So I would say I'm more on the ignoring side, okay. um, but I think being an athlete, you kind of realize that taking care of your body and, um, interpreting things your body tells you in the right way is also important to be able to perform. Yeah. So I way better taking care of myself since I'm an, a professional athlete, and I sleep now because when I when I studied and I still did triathlon back then, so it was quite like training intensive. Um, I had I just took the time from my from my sleep to be able to have time to train, um, and now I know that I need my eight hours to recover, or at least I should have my eight hours to recover, uh, and I tried tried to get there. Um, so yeah, I think I got better in taking care of myself, but. In general, I would say it's sometimes a problem with the crashing uh, that you kind of, I feel like I have another idea of what might happen and how sure. it affects my future if I crash in a certain way. And you can tell that some, especially some of the younger riders, they don't really, I mean, I remember when I was younger, I didn't really care about, oh yeah, you crash, you jump back on your bike um, and fear increases i think when you get older also because it takes totally. you, it takes yeah. you longer to recover um so yeah i think sometimes that's a bit of a bad thing knowing what happens if you do crash a certain way um and it makes me a bit more scared than i yeah. should be uh as a professional rider I, I noticed, and that's really really interesting and, and that does make a lot of sense and you're quite right um i think the older you get you you look at life in a different way. You value things in a di in a different way. Um, I, I certainly found that as as I got a little bit older, and ultimately it was injury that made made me stop. But another spin off of doing what you do in your profession, I, it was really interesting. It was one line in that blog that I read, and it was it was when you crashed in Roubaix, and then you made sure that the other riders that you crashed with were okay as well. It was as if you felt there was responsibility because quite often when you crash, you just get up and you ride off. But you mentioned that you just checked everybody else was okay before you rode on. Is that something as a nurse that you naturally have this, this not desire, but this, um, this way of, of wanting to help people. That, that must be quite awkward because we know how many crashes there are in races sometimes. And, and we all think, Oh my God, imagine I, I can't, you know, you just hear this noise, you just carry on. But do you approach things in a slightly different way? Do you feel a certain responsibility because of who you are outside of being a pro cyclist? Um, yeah, I think maybe, uh, I wouldn't say like that in every crash, like I'm going to turn around and have a no. look. Uh, cool. But like, for example, if somebody's like screaming, and I can tell like they're in severe pain. I'd rather have a look if there's somebody else to help or if, because it's like, yeah, like, I mean, for sure it's my job to race my bike, but then they're like, there's still more important stuff. And since I am a medical professional and I, I would know how to help. Um, I think I can't ignore that fact. Yeah. And, 
therefore I at least have like this quick check, like is somebody's conscious, uh, is somebody okay, or is there a lot of blood and I should take care of it? Yeah. Uh, I think this is the, like the things, if I'm involved in a crash and I go down, um, I just like quickly look around myself and see if there's something that needs medical attention now, or yeah. at least like there is somebody right there um, to help because you never know like how far the cars are back. Uh, if it's like a strong out race, like Roubaix, for example. So it can take, take some time for help to come. Um, and yeah, if somebody's unconscious, I think you shouldn't just like continue riding your bike. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we have seen that before. We, we've seen that you know, both in men's and women's racing, there's been some crashes where riders from rival teams or teammates have stopped just to make sure. I mean, there's that human element. I just, it's an interesting one with that knowledge that you have and and your ability as well. That was again back to your blog. It's fa- it's worth a read actually. Anybody who's listening, uh, check it out on voxwomen.com. It's uh, about six months old now, but you seem to well clearly you you're almost like triaging yourself, checking out what what your injuries are, making an assessment on 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 them, and um, and and having a a professional discussion with the practitioners who are looking after you as well, which is quite uh, quite quite not not strange, but um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, in that certain uh, crash, it was quite, I'm not even sure, like looking back at it, if it was good having the background, because I kind of knew that something's not right. And I really insisted on somebody check- checking on me. But like, for the ones that didn't read the blog, so I fractured my spine and one fracture was unstable. Yeah. I I told them like, don't move me, don't move me. And kind of, it seemed like nobody was listening to me. So I went to I thought I went to hospital, but I didn't get any spinal precautions, no stiff neck, no spine board, nothing. Um, and I could tell like I had a fractured collarbone, but I didn't even feel it because the pain in my back was so severe. And I kept telling them to take care of it and they just dropped me off at team parking. So it was quite a scary, um, experience. And, um, I think looking back, I'm kind of, kind of happy that I had the knowledge that, I trusted myself that something's not right and insisted on it because otherwise I might have just gone on the next plane. And if the fracture had moved, I mean, I could, I, now that I saw the MRI, you can still see that my spinal cord had like a small, like dent from the, the moved bone. So yeah, who knows if I, if, if I would have gone on a, on a plane back home, what, what would have happened? So yeah, I'm quite happy that I insisted and that I had the knowledge um, but I think it also showed me how important my job is and to take patients serious, um, and to take their pain serious. Um, so I'll take, I try to take that positive out of it, that I think this experience made me a better doctor, um, sure. okay. in the future, because also, I mean, I never, I've never been on crazy pain meds. I mean, I had an ibuprofen or a paracetamol, uh, sometime but now I've been on morphine and on codeine and now I kind of know how it works for me and also that for example morphine didn't work for me at all I was in the same pain it wow. just didn't bother me that much anymore right. so now like back I, I can tell like two years back like if I would give somebody morphine and they would say like they're still in pain I would be like are they kidding me and now <laughs> now now having that experience I'm like yeah it's possible like you can have morphine and you're still in the same pain you're yeah. just kind of not bothered that much anymore um so yeah I think 
I take that as a as a message from it that yeah, I take my patient serious and how important the job is and to give your 100% every day. Fantastic. It's um, it, uh, Tanya, it's been a it's been a lovely it's been a an interest a really interesting conversation and um I want to thank you again for coming on the pod and we are going to wrap things up in a minute. Um mm-hmm. but, oh, hold on a minute. There's, sorry, there's a funny sound coming from um my in the corner of my room, sorry. That, oh, no. um, right, okay, I've, I've, I've got a random question that's just come through. Um, I'm really, really sorry about this. It happens every now and again as part of my deal with Sigma. They installed an old computer in the corner and it just flashes off. So, right, I've got this question. It's random. Again, sorry to go off on such a weird tangent, Tanya. Um, okay, right, here we go. If the world stopped spinning... What time of day would you hope that it stopped spinning at? Meaning that it would remain at that time of day in your part of the world forever. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, the world stops spinning. What time of day would you want it to stop spinning at? Because that, that would be it forever. I think 10 o'clock at night or like evening. Okay. That, that's kind of, I'm a night owl. And okay that's kind of the time of the day where I feel like the day just starts and I have this unlimited amount of time because the only time that I'm losing is my sleep. Um, Okay. So I really like that time of the day, uh, especially because other people go to sleep and then I feel like I miss less um, because I'm always, I always have that fear of missing out. And back when I was young, there wasn't even a word for it. So yeah, um, I think 10 o'clock, in the evening, that, yeah. That was almost as if you, that you knew what the question was because you had that, <laughs> that you, that was scarily, um, you had an answer straight away. I mean, quite often on the random questions that are generated, people have to really think about it and there's an awkward silence on the podcast. Um, but no, that, that's, that, that does make sense. And, and I would, I'd, I think I'd be similar actually. Yeah. Because like, like you said, it, like, you know, if it was in the morning, you'd be thinking, oh, what's, what, what would that day have held? But yeah. at night time, everything's generally behind you. Um, and I, I do stay up quite late as well, uh, generally speaking. I, like I know, my, I, like, I know. <laughs> I like to... <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've, we've had a couple of good nights, haven't we, in the past? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Remember I remember when... Worlds at Harrogate, and you yes. were quite hungover that morning when we went to the women's start. Do you remember yes, that? I, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I was, I was quite, yes. Oh my God. You were in the car with me, weren't you? Yeah. 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 Of course. I was pretty bad. I wasn't. I? Yeah. Sorry about that. Really, nope. really sorry about that. I, I was, but we, we had a good no night. No worries. And, and um, you know, when you um, won the Zwift Academy, just a, a quick one. Do you remember the, the hotel we stayed at? Yeah, for sure. That was in... Um Close to Koblenz, it was the, actually, the hotel owner is the guy who invented Haribo. Yes. 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 And everywhere in this hotel, it was a really weird hotel. It was a nice hotel. But do you remember in the corridors, there was like taxidermy, like stuffed animals everywhere. Yeah. But then there was also giant wooden gummy bears, wasn't there? Um, And and little trays and bowls of Haribo with little tweezers so you could have them whenever you wanted. It was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's great to be in a place where there's Haribo everywhere. Um, So yeah, that's what I really liked about it. And actually, I also liked that I didn't have to travel because after after the the finals of of the 
of studying medicine, I was, I was already so done. And if I would have had to travel to Mallorca or somewhere, I think I would have cracked. So it was great to just have a two hour train trip uh, and, and stay in Germany. That was actually quite nice. And I remember meet, like I was a huge fan of yours uh, always. And I remember talking to you the first time when we rode our mountain bikes. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I was so shaky talking to you. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, no, it was, it was it was it was lovely. It was lovely just to see you um, um, win that win, win that that wonderful prize, which has essentially shaped this second part of your life. And that and, and it's lovely to 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 talk to you. I, I've always wanted to have you on the podcast. And thanks for joining. It was great great memories. And what a day! It was it was a blizzard, wasn't it? We were going to go out on the road bikes, weren't we? But the the weather was so bad that we went out on the mountain bikes for about two hours, and it was such a good laugh. I mean, I must admit, I remember that that ride so so well but it was just a laugh wasn't it i don't yeah. remember really ha- feeling any pain although we rode quite hard i think it was, yeah and um, also all of the girls because we we only had our road shoes with us so all of the girls were on speed play and it was like <laughs> snowy and muddy <laughs> so as soon as somebody clicked out it was like nobody could ca- go back in the paddles and then we had pauline Fer- ferrand prevot with us like world-class mountain biker and just like the difference in level was like it was just funny <laughs> It was it there, yeah. I'll have to scroll back and, and dig out some more pictures, actually. Um, but that that was yeah, fond memories of um, of winter twenty seventeen. Apart from my um, broken rib, which yeah. you helped me out with and gave me some drugs. But uh, uh, Tanya, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we could again, we could have spoken for another hour, but um, I'm going to let you go now. What does the rest of the um, the season, as far as you know, look like for you? Looking ahead. Uh, so I only have my plan for like the next two months, I think. Uh, so next week I'm going to go to Luxembourg uh, for Elsie Jacobs. Okay. Then um, I'm going to go to Spain for Vuelta Burgos. Then to the Swiss, I think. And then I'm going back to the UK for Ride London and Women's Tour, which le- leaves me a bit anxious uh, because of, of the bad experience there. But I think it's, yeah, jumping um, into it and then... I'll be fine again, I guess. I'm sure you will. It sounds like you've got a great calendar lined up and, uh, and hopefully our paths will cross at some time in the year. Generally they do, especially after lockdown and stuff. But, but yeah. Tanya, thanks very much for being so generous and so so intriguing on, on the podcast. It's It's been great to have a deep dive, um, learn a little bit more about you and especially about that amazing Roubaix ride. And I will definitely be watching it in the next couple of days anyway. So you take care and, and thanks again. Thank you very much for having me and thanks for digging into uh, my hometown. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sorry though the questions were so strange, but hey, 60% in the end. 60% in the end, that's it. (laughs) Thank you very much and uh, yeah, see you around. Cheers. What a smart and inspirational person Tanya is. And it's great that she knows how important it is to seize the enjoyment of her racing career. And best of luck to her for the rest of the season and in her next block of shifts at the clinic too. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to anyone who thinks they're not receiving adequate medical attention while suffering from a suspected fractured vertebrae if they have the patience to listen to a podcast while in that uncomfortable and unenviable position. Don't forget, if you have any questions, comments, or have a story to share, please get in touch. Our email address is podcast, normally spelled, at sigmasports.com. Uh, I'm just being told by the producer that there's no fee to email us. I rescind my previous statement from earlier on. 
Finally, a massive thanks again for Tanya for joining us on the podcast today and for using her own podcasting equipment to enhance the audio experience. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.